can be found from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 10 to 16, and can be found on page 1069. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But as I said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, son. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Shall we pray? From a long time ago, and yet they can still speak to us today. And we pray that this morning we would be open and available, that your spirit would speak today, not just not me, and that we would listen with our hearts. Amen. Um, this week, uh, we're going to see uh, the final installment of the Star Wars series of movies. Now, you can't say I've never heard of Star Wars because it's been going around since 1978. So the film series is 40-something years old, and we've kind of grown lives. There's it as a sense of there's a battle always in the backdrop of our lives. There's, there's a battle between good and evil. And in it, people will be brought up uh, in their time to deal with things uh, and to contest for good. And of course, evil will rise and, not, and try to have the final say. And so I'm interested how they will wrap it all up tomorrow. Will the last Skywalker really bring everything uh, to, to um, a conclusion? And will it be a good conclusion? Not like the end of the series, Lost. That was awful. That was terrible. Six seasons of brilliance and then one episode of awfulness. But will it meet expectations? Will I be able to say, that, that was a story that edifies me. That was a story that built me up. And the reason I ask about that is because the Bible is full of these stories, real stories of real people who had to contend and sort of look for the good and look for evil where it lay around them. And Ahaz's problem, Ahaz's problem is all too present and rather too familiar. Um, we saw there, if you can have your Bibles open on page uh, 1070, uh, 1069 rather, there's a lot going on for Ahaz. And it's fair to say that like many of Israel's and Judah's kings, uh, he's not a particularly good one. He's going to be, if we flip a little bit further back, and we saw some of it earlier, in verses 1 and 2, he's going to be invaded and attacked by two kings, 
uh, Aram, which is a foreign nation, which we would call Syria today, and um, Israel, who's departed. There's been a civil war, and Israel has sort of got its eye on Ahaz's tiny little kingdom of Judah. And these two other nations have formed an alliance against him, and they have sort of, they've got good chance of overwhelming him, although it hasn't happened yet. Verse uh, 1 tells us that they couldn't yet overpower Jerusalem. They hadn't managed it. Ahaz, I think like anybody in in that situation, is absolutely panic-stricken because he's got several choices. He can throw his lot in with uh, Aram and Israel and say, fair enough, why don't we uh, join together? Let's have a look at a map and I'll give you an idea. The blue bit is Israel and the yellow bit is Judah and, and Aram's on the side there and they're going to come in and they're going to try and squash him. But at the north, now this is quite clever, watch this, but it's in the north bum, ba-dum, ba-dum, uh, is Assyria. And Assyria is an even bigger threat than Israel and Aram. So Ahaz, this king, has got several choices. Shall I kind of just sit tight and hold Jeru- hope that Jerusalem holds? Shall I, uh, with treaty with Israel and Aram, and then see if I can go and fight uh, with them against Assyria, who are starting to spread their empire? Or, even, option C, why don't I form an alliance with Assyria to squash Israel and Aram? What a muddy world he lives in. He must sit there, scratch. I don't know how the guy slept. All this stuff he's trying to sort of work out in his head. And so we start, uh, that's a little bit of background, and we start at verse 10 with, with this lovely thing. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Again. It's interesting, isn't it? This has been a little bit of an ongoing thing. It's clear to God and Isaiah that Ahaz is wrestling with this. Uh, and that's important. And he come, Isaiah comes with this message, ask the Lord uh, for a sign. Ask the Lord your God for a sign. So it's this message about, look, there's, I know there's all this stuff going on in your life. I know there's all this stuff that you're responsible for. But God wants you to trust him rather than all of these little treaties and pacts that you think you can make. And we see these names a couple of times in this reading. Um, he says to the house, in, can you just flip over to verse 13? The house of Isaiah. And then verse 17, the house of your father. Isaiah is coming in the light of God's promises to the household that Ahaz is now in charge of. That God had made promises to David that are supposed to be picked up by each king in order to help them lead the people faithfully. But sadly, Isaiah's invitation falls on deaf ears. I mean, isn't it amazing? Isaiah says, anything you want, anything you like, the highest of heights, the deepest of depths, you ask God and he will come because he wants to help you. But instead what we get is Ahaz's uh, lovely little uh, response in verse 12. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. How pious is that? How pious is that? um, There are a few children present, so I won't tell you a great deal just about Ahaz's background, um, but go and read about it in 2 Kings 16 and then the related chapters in Chronicles. He was a very, very wicked and evil man, and he did all sorts of things that would get him into prison quite quickly. 
in our society today. And so he uses this phrase, I will not put the Lord to the test. So what it does is he's looking quite holy. He's saying, oh, no, 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 I know what's going on. I know what's going on. Um, but Deuteronomy, it's wrong to test the Lord. Now, he's quoting something from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is where Moses reminds the people to remain faithful and not test the Lord by rebelling. So he's using these words to kind of, well, I'm a rebel, but I'm going to pretend I'm not a rebel by quoting God back at himself. Anyone ever done that? Yeah, I wondered. Um, <laughs> pretty, pretty sure I have. Um, this is what it sort of looks like, doesn't it? God's got a plan, and then it goes wrong, and then sometimes oh so very wrong. Um, Ahaz has got, has got these, he's got these schemes, and he doesn't know what to do with them. And he's going to um, struggle in spite of Isaiah's offer, God's offer through Isaiah, to help him. I'm going to tell you a little story. When we went to Vicar Factory, or what we really call Theological College, um, um, during the first weeks or so, we had these social events in the park. And in one of these events, I fell and hurt my left ankle quite badly. And the reason I've got a zoom lolly on the picture is that was the color of my leg. The, the, the purple, t the toes were purple and the knee and the shin were green and my, my you know, were, were yellow. And this is kind of phase, this sort of lovely blend of colors going up my left leg. So it meant the first, and I had a few weeks of uh, theological college, I was w walking with a stick and I had to sort of lift my leg up. And it's quite, it quite horrible, really. And I do have some sympathy for people who are using sticks, honestly because at least for a month I had to. And I remember the guy I shared a study with, who is, this was his fourth degree, the first three degrees were in medicine. Um, he said, you'd have been better off breaking it. Um, which, <laughs> great, thanks James. Uh, that's really nice, why don't we do that? Um, but <laughs> in the end, um, you know, it, it sort of eased off a little bit. Um, and I remember going to a little worship thing that somebody was holding in the evening. Uh, and we were singing, and it got quite, you know, it got quite, you know, we were quite into it, and, you know, so, so I found myself kneeling and, and singing as I was kneeling, and it was quite wonderful, and then the person leading said, and the Lord says, there's somebody here who's hurt their left ankle, and he wants to heal him, and I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> how amazing that there's somebody else here with a, <laughs> with a dodgy left ankle, why do we do that? Why do we do that? And so I saw, found myself doing this bizarre thing where I was thinking, oh dear, poor them. And the leader says, God really wants to heal this person. And I'm praying, I'm going to myself, they'd better stand up or God will miss them. And, <laughs> and I'm in agony. <laughs> I'm in agony. I can't kneel on this ankle any, please. And all I did was prayed even harder and looked even holier. But the person with the left ankle would, please, please, please stand up because I can't stand kneeling like this. Awful terrible and all I was trying to do was look holy all I was trying to do was look like I didn't need God and we do that we do that and actually you know sometimes on a cold day or on a bumpy walk my left ankle still hurts because I never got it sorted I never dealt with it I don't know what could have happened if I'd sort of gone forward and let somebody deal with it because the guy couldn't have known particularly. And so we never dealt with it. Sometimes God wants to speak into our lives 
and we need to listen to what he says. The theme of this is the coming king is for you. He's for you because he wants good things for you and he's for you because he knows you individually, not just like generically, oh yeah, I know I've got people on earth, but each single one of us and what's going on in each of our lives. And so when Isaiah comes with a sign and Ahaz, given the pickle he is in, refuses it, you have to ask yourself, what is wrong with people? What is wrong with us? If God look at this you, then take it. So let's have a look at this sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So this isn't the sign that Ahaz asked for. So this is God saying to Ahaz, okay, I'm going to bail you out, but just so that everybody knows it wasn't on your clever plans, I'm going to do it my way. There's no way Ahaz could point at these events and go, well, that worked out as I thought, because it won't. And it's tricky stuff. It's tricky. It's important to sort of get this uh, clear uh, in our heads, because if Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus, what he says should also mean something to Ahaz. And if he's prophesying to Ahaz, it also has to contain something about Jesus for us to take it seriously today, that the story's fulfillment, we're living in the story's fulfillment. It's called sort of a double fulfillment. It means something then, and it means something still now, and it meant something later. It's the difference between forth-telling, where God tells his people something, and foretelling, telling them something that's going to happen. Okay, so he's speaking to them in their situation. And it's really quite complicated because we've got a number of moving parts, as as to say. I think it's really important to look at the the very start of Isaiah. If you flick back a couple of pages, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 8. Jerusalem is described as the daughter of Zion. Jerusalem is described as the daughter of Zion, left like a shelter in a vineyard. It's important. It's important to see that. Because when we study, those of us who endured or, or followed later, I hope you all did, the series on Revelation, we got used to the idea that cities could be given female personalities. And so these qualities were attributed to cities. So Babylon is always a prostitute, whereas Jerusalem changes a bride. Jerusalem here is a daughter. And in this passage in Isaiah chapter 7, I think this is where Isaiah is saying there's two things going on here. Yes, Jerusalem, we consider you to be like a, 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 a woman of marriageable, of marriable age, but not yet married. This is where we get the virgin, the Alma from. Okay? And it's very specific use of Alma. It's not the normal Hebrew word for virgin. It's about a, it's a woman. It's of a woman who is also being used to visible age, but not yet married, which is Mary, but it's also being used to describe Jerusalem. Have I complicated everything enough? Good. Thank you very much. So, for it to mean something to for it to mean something to Ahaz, he's got to see some kinds of signs in his time. Okay, and for it to mean something to us. It means to make sense of the Jesus story. Now, 
The other little thing that's going on here is that Isaiah has a son. In chapter 3 of verse 7, he's got a son called Shear Jashub. And Shear Jashub means a remnant will remain or return. That's important. Because this is the name of the son, people, that the city, woman, will have. Is that clear? Jerusalem will not lose children because God has promised a remnant will remain. But at the same time, God will deal with Ahaz's enemies by the time this remnant have come forth. So the promises in Isaiah's time are being fulfilled in a sort of a figurative way, which sort of makes sense to them. Okay? Ahaz was expecting some people, and in the end what he got was an army conquering Israel, Aram, and then Judah. Uh, with, with the Babylonians. People came round to conquer um, his enemies, but not the way he thought. But within this com- complex picture is a more interesting story for us. It's the intricate history of God's plan to save his people, where these words, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, actually take flesh actually become real in a person, a single individual. And that's important. So we have this Christmas story of this young woman, Mary, betrothed but not yet married to Joseph. Alma, marriable age, not yet married. And we have uh, this child conceived by the Holy Spirit, the account uh, that we read at the beginning of Luke. We have the Magnificat, her song about God being willing and wanting to help his people and her willingness to receive that promise. And then we bump into, then we bump into a small problem because she doesn't call him Emmanuel, she calls him Jesus. And we have to look at this. Okay, how is this child, how is this king, which means saviour, going to represent God with us? And it's interesting that Matthew's account fleshes this out. Matthew's gospel uh, fleshes out this life of this Jesus in glorious color so that we can see what it means. He starts off his gospel uh, by saying, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. So Matthew starts his gospel with these very words, even though Mary calls him Jesus. And so what we see is that this person, Jesus, takes shape and forms life within the Jewish community. Matthew looks at Jesus as being the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that God would be with his people. Read Matthew's gospel. It only takes an hour and a half. It's a really good read because that's what Christmas is about. And we see how much Jesus fulfilled these promises. The people can see that God is with Jesus. He identifies with them as one of them. He gets baptized like one of them. He walks and lives among them. He obeys the law like them. He lives like them. But gradually, they grasp that God isn't just with Jesus. Jesus is God himself. And the gospel uh, finishes with these words. Sorry, I've skipped these a little bit. Uh, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is declaring himself to be Emmanuel. He is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So Matthew's gospel starts with the prophecy fulfilled. And Jesus declares, I am with you. God with us. Well, this tells us a couple of really important things. Uh, I'm sorry it's been a bit technical, but there's a lot in there. People can point at it and say, oh, no, it doesn't say that. And I want us to be confident to be able to say, no, this is what it means. This is how we see it. And if you want to discuss any of those things and why Isaiah's second son, Mahashal Hashbaz, was not the son, then that's great. Let's talk about it. But it's a conf- we should have a confidence uh, in what we believe, what we've read, what we've heard. And the first thing is that effectively God is for you. This isn't the first time that Isaiah has gone to Ahaz. This isn't the first time he's ended up in trouble. This isn't the first time uh, that Isaiah has come to him with his promises. The passage, Ahaz starts with again. This is an ongoing problem. Secondly, I already hinted, Ahaz is a terrible person. He is an awful king. He did terrible things to his family and to his people and to the worship of the, of the, of the nation. He made alliances that bankrupted the nation. He made uh, treaties that he then reneged on. And he always looked for help anywhere other than God. Anything but Jesus would have been his motto. And yet God still comes to Ahaz and says, do you want some help? Can I help you with this? And Ahaz turns him down. Ahaz says, no, 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 I'm far too, you know, I'm fine. I'm going to hide behind this piety. I'm going to hide behind looking religious. And Chronicles tells us that he worshipped other gods while he was supposed to be worshipping Yahweh. I'm going to hide behind this sort of religious facade where I look okay, where I do the right things. And actually the heart is far from God. And that's terrible, isn't it? And I think it's fair to say sometimes being religious or being thought of as religious allows us to get away with a lot. And when we have a reputation for being the sorts of people who are quite, quite holy, quite spiritual, actually the heart isn't always where it should be. And Ahaz get to the very example of God wants to break through that sort of stuff and get to the very meat of who we are. We can reject it or we can accept it. We can put our faith and our trust in our own plans, in our own ideas, in our own pension plans, investments, uh, our own schemes. I don't know how many of you got a 10-year plan. I was talking to somebody the other day who said that uh, his uh, daughter's decision to um, extend her degree to a master's had messed up his 25-year plan. Now you know what I mean. We've got a plan. But God uh, has other plans, and they are usually better or always better than ours. And the second thing is Mary, the virgin, uh, uh, the virgin who, who receives God with joy, who receives this news with joy. It's going to test her. It's going to, she's got her reputation at stake. She's got uh, what, the, what people will t- say about her. She's got the, the whole thought of being you know, pregnant, goodness me. Um, she's got all of that in front of her, and yet she's willing 
She's willing to say, you know, this God has a say in our lives. And sometimes we have to have the courage to say, no, actually, I believe that God is going to do that. I believe that God is with me. I believe that God can help God because he says he is for me. God is for us. Jesus came to save us, not other people, us as well. And the story of God's salvation and grace is for all of us. And a king who's come for us. Shall we pray? Shall we just take a moment? There may be things in front of your, in, in your agenda this week. Even though it's, uh, it's Christmas, it's going to be busy, both at home and at work. Or it may not be, and that's going to be difficult. But why don't you just put something before God and say, I could do some help. Father, we thank you that you're willing to help us. And there are things in our lives we don't know what to do. We don't always know the best path. At best, it's a good guess how to help somebody, how to, what to say. We just don't. And sometimes we're resistant. We just don't want to know. We don't want God to know because we're ashamed or we're frightened. They'll pick holes in us, ask us how we made ourselves such a mess. And actually what he wants to do is lift us up, dust us off. Help us become the people he intended us to be. Holy Spirit, would you come and bless your people this morning? Would you speak to them? Would you comfort them? If you want to pray with somebody after this morning's time together, uh, then that would be wonderful because our God is wonderful and he is for you. Shall we turn to a time of confession?